In this episode, we'll be joined by Josh Ricker of The Main Stand to discuss all things soccer, including the English Premier League and the upcoming World Cup. All ahead on this week's episode of Home Field Advantage. All right, welcome into another episode of Home Field Advantage. I hope you're all having a great week or weekend wherever you may be listening and however you may be listening across our great country or our great world. Happy to be joined by my good old buddy, Josh Ricker. He's our resident soccer expert. You guys know it. I sometimes throw his name out there when I don't know what I'm talking about in this realm. We have him here. He'll answer all of our questions uh in probably i'm not going to put too much pressure on him but in a in a manner that will enlighten us all in the world of footy so without further ado i'm well glad to welcome in josh ricker he's the host of the main stand he's also a contributor at sports betting dime he's a native of arusta county josh how are you this afternoon well first thanks for having me on will uh i'm doing great uh Really excited. The, you know, the World Cup's just a, a couple weeks away here. Premier League is, you know, we're right in the midst of it. Champions League group stage just wrapped up. So in terms of soccer, this is like the bread and butter of, you know, not only the season, but of like the World Cup um, kind of run we're in. So everything's kind of ramping up and, you know, you can't be in a better mood when soccer's on almost every single day of the week. That's true. Although I, we'll get into it because I hung up my Spurs uh, <laughs> shirt behind me for this episode. Sometimes it's not always pretty, but we'll get into that in a little bit. Um, and, you, and you're right. This time of year is awesome when it comes to uh, football and soccer, especially if you're a new fan like I am relatively yep. in the past few years. Uh, it's a great time to ramp up some excitement there. Um, and I definitely wanted you on before uh, Spurs take on Liverpool, which we'll talk about, and also before the World Cup. So this was, I was really glad to have you on because I know you're a busy guy. I also <laughs> mentioned you're the host of The Main Stand, another program that I sometimes direct all my listeners to. Tell us a little bit about The Main Stand um, just before we get started and uh, sort of what you and the guys do on a weekly basis. Yeah, so The Main Stand is a podcast me and uh, two buddies made over a year ago now, or this is our second kind of full season. Uh, and my co-hosts are Pat Olette and Mitch Ketchin. Uh, started it just three guys from Maine who, who love soccer. Um, two Liverpool fans and a Man City fan. So we do get some kind of conflicting views and some arguments here once in a while. Um, really just for kind of the love of the game, talking about mostly the Premier League, a little Champions League, um, and other kind of soccer news, transfer rumors and stuff like that. Uh, we want to be the, the biggest soccer podcast in Maine. When, when you think of Maine soccer, we want to be the people you think of. And we also want to be ambassadors for the sport here in Maine. Uh, you know, when the professional team comes, we kind of want to be on that journey with everyone. And we're kind of taking, you know, the steps to do that by promoting the World Cup here in Portland, uh, getting content out, being at the zoo every weekend in Portland, watching games with the locals. Um, so we really want it to be more than a podcast. We want it to be kind of immersive you know, with the city and the state as a whole, uh, just get people excited about the sport and get people, more people like you, you know, getting out to watch games and becoming fans. Very true. And yeah, you guys have been um, really instrumental, you know, just aside. And I'm sure, I mean, my 
my listeners, if they listen, they would feel the same way as you guys have been truly instrumental just in our local area. We have a ton of listeners from Maine, New Hampshire, Massachusetts, mm-hmm. in, uh, specifically. Um, so regionally, you guys have done a great job. Um, I listen to you guys as often as I can. My podcast roster, despite being one, my a podcaster myself is very long. <laughs> So you guys, most of the time, make it into the cut on a weekly basis, and I always find myself learning something new. So I think that's good. I didn't know a ton about the Premier League outside the big six um, heading into, you know, really when you guys started the podcast. So that, that's been great. So keep up the good work. I know we'll talk a little bit more about some of the local. This is history. kind of full circle a little bit too, Will. Yeah, go for if it. You're- if you remember back at the Sea Dogs, the 2018 World Cup in Russia was happening. Right. And we would, we would be interning, getting, you know, wiping seats off, whatever. And they would have some of the World Cup games on the center field Jumbotron, if you remember that. I do. Um, so I do. it is kind of full circle that here we are four years later, uh, a new World Cup this time in the winter. And we're, we're sitting here talking about it still. Yeah. And you, and you, you bring up a great point. Um, that was really the um, sort of genesis of my fandom in soccer. We, we talked about that. I encourage you, I think it's probably still up on YouTube or on Apple podcasts. You can always go back and listen to that episode where I talked about how we became a soccer fan, but that, yeah, that summer was truly instrumental. The fact that the um, even though the U S wasn't in it, the fact that we were, you know, able to follow it along. And, you know, I started playing FIFA around that time. I started yeah. getting into the Premier League around that time. Um, and I, I was sort of a, a club free agent up until about probably late 2019. <laughs> I kind of chose the wrong time to uh, start following Spurs, but we'll get we'll get to that later. Um, but yeah, you, yeah, you guys have done a great job. So keep up the good work. Um, but before we get into the Premier League specifically, and this can certainly you know be a topic um, that brings out that conversation is, is there, because you're so keyed into the soccer world, is there a story out there that you guys might've touched on that you might be um, thinking about that perhaps other newer fans like myself or some of my listeners might not have on their radar? Yeah, I actually, I came prepared with one. Uh, we actually on the segment we do or on the podcast, we do a segment called out of bounds where we talk about something kind of outside of the pitch related, um, and this wasn't something we touched on yet, but if we did have a, we're not doing an episode this week because few sick members, um, but we would have talked about it. Um, and it's the champions league. Uh, a lot of people I feel like aren't talking about the format changing in a couple of years. Uh, they really slipped it under the rug when the whole super league fiasco went down a couple of years ago. Yeah. If, if you remember that yeah. um, in 2024, 25, the, the whole format of the champions league is changing from 32 teams to 36 and it's going to go from having individual groups to a whole one league table you're going to play 10 games instead of six 10 different games uh five home five away the top eight automatically qualify and teams nine through 24 have to play a play-in to get to the the last 16 so it's going to be basically the super league but still the champions league (laughs) Uh, and they really slipped it under the rug um, with the whole Super League stuff. So I think that's something funny that no one's talking about that's just going to happen in yeah. a couple of years. That's crazy because right right now the Champions League is obviously on everyone's mind because we just got done the group stage this week. Um, you know, it's not it's kind of going to be put obviously on the back burner with the World Cup coming up, you know, until, you know, early in 2023. But yeah, I haven't heard much about that either. So how do those other four teams, like where do those four teams come from? 
Because right now there seems to be a structure in place for every league of how UEFA allows somebody mm-hmm. to qualify. So where how are the qualification um, guidelines? or To know. my knowledge, qualification is staying the same. I don't know where the other four spots are necessarily. I'm assuming those are coming uh, from additional playoff spots, not from additional league table spots. So like... Okay. I think there might be more playoff games of like you get in if you win this one off game. Okay. That makes sense. Um, It's interesting. It it is interesting. Is Europa league expanding too, because there's going to be more people dropping out. That's a good question. I'm assuming it would change in format with the champions league. Uh, That would make the most sense. The, The big thing here is it really cuts out the smaller guys because over 10 games instead of six, the the small teams are going to get found out over 10 games. It's easier sure. to kind of maneuver through a four team group and kind of qualify. It's harder when you're playing 10 different teams. Um, and it makes it a lot easier for the big guys like Liverpool, uh, Real Madrid. Yeah. All the, all the big guys. When you have 10 teams, the, the likelihood of you playing um, a smaller team, that's not as good as a lot you know, you have a lot better chances of that than, you know, going up against a Bayern Munich or a Barcelona. So it really helps yeah. out the big guys, not so much the small teams and something that's definitely going under the radar. Yeah. Wow. That, yeah, that's going to be huge, uh, huge change for the sport too, because yeah. it, it seems like a lot of stuff in, in that realm is so like set in stone. Like you can almost know, you know, how how something's going to look a lot like a lot of our sports now they're just so institutionalized that it's sort of like you know black and white fill in the blanks and that's how it's going to go so yeah we we've seen that even on our side of the pond too you know MLB expanded their playoffs NFL expanded their playoffs sounds like seems like everybody makes the playoffs in the NBA now um so (laughs) yeah that well that's good well thanks for bringing that to our yeah for sure uh it's really cool um I don't know how much uh effect it will have on table watching uh since you say that it will it probably will come from playoff games not from table spots mm-hmm. uh but speaking of the premier league table what what do you think of the way it looks so far not great for your red for your reds <laughs> no. but not awful either uh what do you think so far about the way that it's panned out i would i have one word for the EP, epl table right now and it's it's peculiar i i think you can look at every single spot and be like oh that's interesting uh maybe different than what you thought it was at the beginning of the season or before the season uh you know arsenal's top of the league which i don't know how long i can kind of stay on this arsenal are gonna get found out bandwagon uh because they are kind of winning week in week out right. with uh, aside from their hiccup a couple weeks ago um, against Southampton. But I do think Arsenal don't have the depth or necessarily the experience to outlast Man City in kind of that long haul. I think City will run away with it after the World Cup. Everything else, though, it's like a toss-up. It's like someone just did a, a randomizer, um, and teams are kind of just all over the place. Right. You have Newcastle in the top four, Fulham in the top ten, Brighton, despite you know losing Graham Potter and Kukurea, who was their best player last year are in the top 10 Liverpool's in ninth. You can go through the entire league table and it's surprising, um, which is quite weird. Cause usually by this time, the premier league table starts taking shape yeah. in terms of what actually makes sense. Yeah. I think Brighton and Newcastle are the biggest surprises for me. Like, I mean, man said he has been better, um, which is funny to say since I believe they were only sixth or seventh last year. So it's not like they were horrible. Um, 
and, and then you know we've seen those other two teams I just mentioned, uh, Newcastle and uh, and Brighton uh, ascend. And Arsenal to me wasn't too much of a surprise because they were a top four, top five team for most of last year, especially uh, during the run in. Um, and then we know they're young and hungry. Um, so I'm not too surprised that they've gotten off to a hot start, but I, I was sort of thinking, oh, they're going to like start to fall back. Um, yeah. But yeah, they haven't yet, but it's still really early. We're only like a third of the way through. Yeah, exactly. Uh, still really early. And this longer international break in the middle of the, um, in the middle of the season for the world cup will be different um, for, I think, than what people are normally used to uh usually it seems like november and early december when some of the best like fixtures happen yeah you know like when people start to really get amped up uh but now we're going to be dealing with the world cup so that that's a little bit different uh one of those teams we talked about um and obviously your favorite uh team is liverpool are you worried about their slower than usual start Seems like normally at this time they're in that top three, top two already, and they're, we're talking about them in the title chase. Um, um, they're not by any means out of the woods yeah. or completely out of it, but what do you make of their slower than usual start? Well, I do think we're out of the title race. I would say that. Uh, and I know I said that last year too, too early, uh, and they kind of scratched and clawed their way back against Man City. But uh, this year just seems more of like a transition rebuilding year, which is why I'm a little bit less panicked, more annoyed by some of the results yeah. we've had recently. Uh, th- this team just screams inconsistency, which is unlike any Liverpool team from the past five years. I mean, you look at the past two weeks we've had, we beat Man City, beat Ajax away <laughs> and beat Napoli, a team that has hasn't lost a game all season and you lose to Nottingham Forest and Leeds. It's hard to really point to one specific area of the pitch in terms of like what's going wrong. Uh, I think not a lot of people are necessarily talking about the psychological fatigue that team went through playing 64 games last year, losing the league by another, a point once again to man city and losing by a goal in the champions that you were so close to being the best team ever um, winning every competition you were in to really coming up short. And I think, the psychological toll of like getting up and going again. I think people are kind of underestimating that and obviously losing Sadio Mane in the summertime that doesn't help either. So it's a, it's a definitely a period of transition. Also injuries haven't helped us either. You know, we're missing guys in the back. Matip Kanate missed the good part of the beginning of the season. And then we have, you know, Jota out, Louis Diaz out. So that, you know, doesn't help us either, but uh, less so concerned. I think, I always go back to trust in Klopp, no matter what bad period Liverpool's in. If you remember the COVID year, we lost like six games in a row at Anfield. So I always trust that Klopp will straighten the ship out if you give him time. Yeah, and and it, it sort of seems like they're they're you might you as you mentioned they might be out of the title race, but when it comes to these domestic cups that are going to start happening in the new year, I mean it, you'd be foolish not to think that. You know, some of those are going to start to get gobbled up and you'll see Liverpool in the final of the Carabao Cup or the FA Cup or something by the time April or May rolls around. You'd be foolish to think that that's not a possibility, even though they've gotten off to a small, uh, excuse me, a slow start in the Premier League. If I was a Liverpool fan like you, I would be more worried that they're going to not get the top four and miss out on Champions League (laughs) next year. 
That would yeah, be and for those of you for the, your listeners who don't know, it almost reminds me a little bit of like 2005 Liverpool of like, you know, that that was the year they went uh, on to win the Champions League from three nil down against AC Milan. They didn't even finish in the top four that year. The only reason they qualified for the Champions League the next year was because they won the Champions League, which gets you automatic qualification. It feels a little bit like that this year. Like this team could finish eighth in the Premier League and go on and win the Champions League. That's how crazy this team is. But uh, it's part of being a Liverpool fan. We're not Man City. We're not Newcastle. We don't have endless checkbooks. Uh like the Red Sox, we have to kind of play on a budget. Not every year is going to be great, but uh, the fans will be there. The support will be there, and you just got to hope it turns around in the end. Yeah, and I, I think you guys I think you guys are – you've got top five manager in the world. You know, Salah is a top, in my opinion, top five, uh, you know, offensive forward in the world. Um, yeah. You know, like just those two, let alone the rest of, you know, the stalwarts of that you know, lineup that you can rely on in big games. Cause I think when the big games come around, like you just mentioned it, you know, when you go up against a city or you go up against, you know, Napoli or Ajax or anybody, I mean, you'll find them. It's actually a little spursy. What happens when you go up against Lee or, you know, believe me, Spurs went on the road. I don't know what they call it in England, but here we call it on the road. They went on the road to the Etihad. They had this amazing win, which I'll brag about more in a second (laughs) when I go over Conte's resume. And then the following Thursday, which all but four days later, they lose home Burnley or away Burnley. It doesn't really matter. It was Burnley. You know, so I I get it. I get it. I know you get it because you've watched a hell of a lot more soccer than I have. (laughs) Um, but yeah, it's it's a young season. And uh, because it's a young season, another one of those teams that's found their way near the top is Newcastle. Made a lot of noise on and off the pitch. Um, been a little bit controversial. What do you think of Newcastle? Do you think they're going to compete for the top six, top four? Or do you think they're sort of the reverse Liverpool? They're going to fade rather than play their best football after the new year? I think European competition in general is going to be their goal. Uh, a Europa League spot or a Conference League spot. Um, you, you saw it. I mean, West Ham last year was a really good example. Uh, you, a team with that much depth, it's hard to play in that many competitions. Um, so I think they want to be kind of wary about getting champ. I'm not saying they wouldn't want Champions League football, but uh, I think Europa League, Conference League is more realistic. Um, especially they're so early in this project too. It took Man City a while to get to the point they are and we're seeing Newcastle kind of ascend quicker than Man City did. Um, Eddie Howe, you know, he has to be up there with manager of the year, kind of an early bid at least. And they have a lot of players really playing on form. Miguel Almiron is one that really stands out. I mean, the Mexican international is just banging in goals right now. Kieran Trippier has played well this year. They have players all over the pitch that are really, really quality. Um, And the fact is they haven't really bought a ton. So it's kind of scary with an open checkbook to see what they're going to do in the next couple of years. Um, This year, I think top six is probably a more relevant goal for them, especially, you know, the longevity aspect. Uh, The Premier League season's a long haul and every game matters. And those middle of the middle of the season fixtures can really trip teams like Newcastle, um, the Brightons, the Palaces up. Right. And I can see them cleaning up on some of those other teams when they need to. I mean, how they beat 
Tottenham a couple weeks ago in a game that will probably end up mattering uh, in the point table. Uh, but yeah, I could see Newcastle definitely, you know, beating the teams or the clubs they have to beat, um, but maybe not winning enough or taking enough points to get their way into the top four. I think it's a little bit unrealistic just because there's a lot of good teams in the Premier League, but top six for sure. And I think they would like playing in the Conference League. I think that would give them a little bit of exposure. Yeah. Um, it, it seems to me, being a new fan of the sport, a lot, a lot of times these uh, European competitions are a great opportunity for you know football scouting staffs to go out and you know see other players that they don't get to see yep. when they're playing domestically. So that could help them if they're as you say, um, full of cash. Um, so enough talking about Newcastle. I kind of want to talk about our clubs again. I just had to throw that in there because, you know, they're new and they're flashy and we'll see what happens with them. But in terms of our clubs, I mentioned this earlier, we've got Spurs Liverpool uh, this week. This is something that I think we've talked about before. You And I know you've said it on the main stand that it's one of your favorite fixtures uh, I For think sure. it has something to do with the fact that you saw it live, A, and B, that it was the Champions League final. Am I right? Yes. Okay. Uh, it also was the, the, when NBC had their fan fest in Boston, uh, we played Spurs that day as well. So okay. every big uh, Premier League moment kind of I've had is uh, Liverpool Spurs. All right. So what do you think? What do you think about this matchup? I know not a lot as I've found in in my young fandom here. I don't know how many times I have to say that, but I think it's true. I, I find that there's not a lot of like talk about the next match, you know, like over here, we're in American sports. We're always talking about like the next game, yeah. the next game. There's not a lot of that talk, you know, as I read and listen, um, you know, to, you know, foreign, um, you know, coverage, but in term, we're going to do that right now. So what do you, what do you think of this? <laughs> of this fixture coming up in a couple days. Uh, by the time our listeners uh, and viewers watch this, will probably be happening either today or tomorrow. Um, so what do you, what do you think about this fixture coming up in sort of the direction of both clubs? Well, uh, you know, they're both coming off really big European wins. Uh, that's something to note. It is at Tottenham, which is a little bit concerning for Liverpool. Liverpool haven't been good away um, this season. I yeah. also, Liverpool against any competent attack this season. Their defenses have been wide open, and we've been giving up the first goal a lot. Um, Tottenham are a team you kind of have to be wary against because they are. They do like to come at you, you know, uh, right from the start. I believe Son's going to miss this match. He looks like he's getting yeah. surgery. Uh, yeah, his, something going on with his eye socket, which is really messed up. But I, I hope he comes back soon for his sake, just as a guy, and then also for <laughs> – you know, playing football, but yeah, he, I don't think he'll play. I don't think Rashawson will play. I don't think Kulisevsky will play. And I don't think, um, I, I think we could be without another midfielder. I, it's not Hoiberg or Skip or anybody. I, I can't remember who it is that I think we're going to be. Oh no, it's not a midfielder. It's uh, Romero in the back. Ooh. I, yeah, I don't think he's going to play uh, either. So we could see the same, you know, starting 11 that we saw, uh, against uh, Marseille, but sorry. It is a pretty big injury list. Uh, I don't know with Kane does always tend to score against us. I feel like Um, it's hard. You could ask me like what I expect from Liverpool. Every time it's going to be, I expect a Liverpool win. 
And I do because our record against Tottenham is pretty clean. You haven't beat us since 2017. So four no or four one win. Yeah. Uh, we took one of our defenders off after like 30 minutes because he was having a shocker. That I mean <laughs> that's what it takes. Really, yes, exactly. We've dominated Tottenham over the past. And that was in the old was that in the old White Hart Lane too? That wasn't even in the new new stadium. Yeah, it would have been. Yep. Um yeah, Tottenham just haven't had much success against us. I, I think we can kind of get at Tottenham defensively too um, because it will be an open game. I think Liverpool struggled a little bit against the Forests and the Leeds when they've kind of been pushed back a little bit, um, really trying to make us you know break the, down their defense and whatnot. I think Tottenham will play a little bit more open, um, which and I think on it's the counter, I think Liverpool, you know, have them. Uh, so, but it'll be interesting. Klopp versus Conte. That'll definitely be a tactical duel on the sideline too. So that'll be interesting. Yeah, I know. Talk about two of the most colorful personalities in in managerial uh, football. But yeah, one thing I've noticed about this fixture. So I've probably watched it four or five times now since I've started following the Premier League. Is it seems like it seems like Spurs have the tendency to sit back actually against some of these, you know, more talented, uh, you know, potent uh, clubs. Uh, Sometimes it's to their benefit. Sometimes it's not. But I also know in this fixture that last year was two draws and both of those games were just really weird. There was like, I believe there was like a no call red card at the game at North London. And then the game at, uh Anfield was I believe a like a late goal that's that saved a draw for um either side I can't remember I know that one side was winning late 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 but it was like in the 80 minutes or 85 minutes or something like that there I can't remember the exact so it seems like something weird or bizarre always happens so I wouldn't throw that out of the realm um one thing that I've noticed about Spurs though in their recent games is that they're really like a tale of two halves and like you can afford to have a rough first half against, I don't know who they, who they win at in the league last week. Oh, Bournemouth. Yeah. They, it took like a miraculous comeback for them to beat Bournemouth, right? Like you can afford that going two nil down against Bournemouth. Perhaps. I don't know if you can do that against Liverpool. Actually, I know you can't. Yeah. Yeah. That's one thing that worries me. Um, One thing I do like one thing one reason why I do like Spurs chances at least getting a point is that they've played, they've played well up against these big clubs. And I actually took down notes because I (laughs) I've ran out of in my memory, how many times they've scored really late against, um, against an opponent. You know, I hear since I've been a Spurs supporter, I've heard a lot of chat. I've got, (laughs) Friends from college who are United fans. I have I have a cousin out west in Canada who is a huge Chelsea fan. Like I've heard, you know, you bottle it, you choke, you don't win any trophies. <laughs> you guys don't, you guys aren't clutch. So I actually had to write down. So we had two points off of Liverpool last year um, in two games. Yep. Draws. If Liverpool wins one of those games, they win the league. All right. And then took six points off City, and then they beat Arsenal 3-0 in the North London Derby with the top four on the line. And then they had six games this year in which they scored in 
stoppage time to win the game, including Watford away, Leicester away, Man City away, Bournemouth away, and then uh, two days ago at Marseille. So I had to write it down because I couldn't remember, but if being third in the Premier League and moving on to the uh, group of 16 uh, round uh, means that you're a choker, then I guess I'll take that. Um, so, I'm not, so I'm not too worried about them like throat laying an egg. I don't no. think they'll like lose four nothing or I don't think they'll lose like five one. I hope that doesn't happen. But I can see them losing like two nothing, two nil and just having no offensive output with all these guys up front out. Um, I could also see them not having a uh, goal in the first half. Like that's I if there was I know you do a lot of gambling. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. If there was a bet on no Tottenham goal in the first half. Like, <laughs> that. It, so that that's what worries me. Like Conte's resume in big games since he's been with Spurs has been pretty good. Yeah. They don't usually get battered. Um, you know, the the old song goes that like Tottenham gets battered everywhere they go. Well, under Conte, they seem to rise to the occasion in big games. So I'd like to think that continues. Um, but yeah, as you pointed out, there's some dark voodoo magic and I wouldn't totally be surprised if Liverpool comes in to, you know, Tottenham and wins, you know, three, one or two nil. It'll be, it'll be a fun uh, battle on the wings too, with Perisic and Sessegnon probably going up against Alexander Arnold and, and Robertson or Costa yeah. semi cost for Liverpool. Um, that'll be a good battle to watch. And I also, I, I have to think that Klopp's going to play Bobby Firmino in this game. Uh, which Firmino loves a goal against Tottenham and against that back three of, you know, Ben Davies, Lenglet and uh, Eric Dyer. I love Bobby just pulling strings, pulling those guys out of position and maybe getting a goal for Salah or Nunez. Uh, I I love our front three against this defense in this game. So I do get a ride with Liverpool. Yeah, I would too, because of the because without Romero, Romero's sort of like this spark plug back there. Like Dyer's a fine player. I'm, I think Davies has done well. I think Conte sort of turned Davies into a little bit of a factor. Like under Jose, yep. he was sort of, and definitely under Nuno in that short time period, it was sort of like, okay, what is this guy doing here? Uh, what it, What is his fit in the club? Um, but yeah, I think Conte's turned Ben Davies into a little bit of like a Premier League regular, but I still don't like him and Dyer and um, Langley as much as, you know, what the normal back three looks like with Romero. Cause Romero's a little bit of a spark club spark plug. Yeah. Surprisingly it was Langley that saved the champions league for Tottenham. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to shut on him too much because without <laughs> him on Tuesday That's night, true. you know, we're playing Europa league maybe. Um, so yeah, I, I get that. Like I, I, I think at this point, you still got to respect Liverpool and you'd sort of be foolish to pick against them as you pointed out a few minutes ago in one yeah. of these games, but I don't think Tottenham's going to, you know, completely not show up. I don't think that happens. Um, do you have any other premier league thoughts uh, before we move on to the world cup? Um, I don't think I do really aside from, yeah. uh, you know, I don't know any of your listeners or city fans, the, kind of the emergence of Erling Holland too. I don't know if anyone's really expected him to kind of crack on the way he has. And the fact that he just gets a month break in the middle of the season to recharge is uh, very scary for every other premier league team. That's the only uh, final thought I have on the prep. Yeah. He's been, he's been special. I, you know, I think, I think 
they wanted so long to get a player like that sort of, I mean, they have plenty, right? You know, it's like, you know, Kevin DeBron and everybody like yeah, that, I but, know. <laughs> but they, they have plenty of like transcendent players, but they sort of like wanted one more guy, you know, like they wanted Kane, obviously. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I think he's sort of like fit a piece, like sort of this confidence factor as if they needed any more. Right. But he yeah. sort of has given them like this extra boost and yeah, he's been special. Uh, he's been really special. And I, the hype around him uh, in the spring leading into the summer and his ultimate transfer has been well warranted. <laughs> um, but speaking of hype, uh, there's been a lot of hype about the World Cup. Some good, a lot of it good, which is great. We've all seen the John Hamm com- commercials as Santa Claus and all that good stuff. Um, but there has been some negative controversy uh, as it pertains to um, the World Cup. And obviously a lot of controversy is negative but in this case it's sort of been uh not a great look for fifa or anybody else really um so what do you make of some of that do you think it's going to put a dark cloud over the event in some you know casual viewers eyes i think it already has i mean i've been a a speaker on this for the past couple of years i mean thousands of people have died already building these stadiums that have air conditioning and all of these nonsense things that wouldn't have been needed if the world cup was put into place uh you know where pockets weren't priest uh in terms of fifa you know representatives um it's gonna be the fire fest of world cups in terms of being (laughs) an absolute disaster yeah uh and not just from a game soccer perspective but from a fan perspective as well uh saw photos of some of the fan kind of hotels it looks really kind of like a shambles kind of just thrown together um and there's a lot of rules as well that go against kind of the the pillars of soccer which are you know, no drinking, uh, no, you know, rough housing, you know, tomfoolery, anything like that, which I do think uh, it's going to be hard to get that many people from so many different cultures and stuff to not kind of um, do that at their fullest. Cause we know what happens at big tournaments, especially the world cup. Um, yeah. So I think that's going to take away from the event as a whole. And also just, there's already so much negative buzz around it and there's going to be player protests of, you know, things that Qatar have firm stances on and uh, seeing how they react, you know, the government seeing how they react to fan protests. It's going to be really interesting. And I I think it's going to probably shape a lot of decisions FIFA takes in the future on, you know, some of these countries who want a bid, you know, in the coming years. Yeah. And, and you're totally right. It, it, and it's easy just to focus on like the, what's happening on the pitch, but you know, you mentioned it, people have died building these facilities. We know um, that there's talk about you know, privacy concerns about downloading an app on your phone that allows the government to watch where you're going. I mean, yeah, we here in the free world, I'm just gonna use that in air quotes. So like in the West, we hear a lot about, Oh my God, government overreach. Okay. Last I checked, you know, to go to Gillette or to go to, <laughs> you know, to go to the uh, Alliance Stadium or whatever in, in St. Yeah. Paul, you didn't have to uh, download an app on your phone. So that's a little weird. And then, you know, add on the hospitality for the players and fans. Um, it sort of reminds me of some of these weird sham Olympics that we've had in recent years. Yeah. Um, like the China, Beijing winter games with like a industrial park in the background of the snowboarding hill. Uh, It's just, it, you could see some really weird images, I I guess is where I'm going with this. Like you could see like a desert and then suddenly 
you know, people are need drinking water, but oh yeah, we got plenty of it at this, uh, you know, at this soccer stadium, but none of it for the people. Yeah. Um, Not to use a buzzword either, but you know, it's the finest example of sport washing there is. If you thought live golf was bad, this is um, on a whole different level in terms of size and and reach, especially because it is, it's reaching the whole world. Um, And you'd hate to, to take away from, you know, what should be just, the best event there is. I mean, it's ultimately, I think it's better than the Olympics. It's better than the Super Bowl. And it, you know, I don't, I hope that it doesn't get anything taken away from it because of how Qatar officials handle it or, you know, how the government handles it. It Uh, does sort of give sort of an out to FIFA in the future to be like, Hey, yeah, maybe we should have like the world cup in like places that can really take it on in a respectful and meaningful way. Um, you know, and, and that might sound a little biased, you know, coming from an American or coming from a Westerner, but I'm not even just saying having it in, you know, a country like ours. I mean, I thought the World Cup in Brazil went fine. Um, oh, yeah. South Africa was great. Too. Yeah. South Africa was awesome. I mean, even Russia, which I mean, things have changed, obviously, <laughs> in Russia. But I mean, even four years ago in Russia, it went fine. Um, so, yeah, I think and you're right. South Africa to me was Looking back historically, I can only talk about my lifetime. Um, looking at the event was probably the first time that I that I really watched the event, and yeah. yeah, I loved that. I loved it there, and yeah. So it doesn't always have to be in a developed first world country, quote unquote. Um, but it, it's got to be in a place that can take it on in a in a meaningful way and in an ethical way. Um, so I, I, I'm with you. I hope it doesn't cloud it any further than it already has, but. And not be... to take up too much time here, but sure, go for it. You have player concerns too. I mean, it's right. it's going to be blazing hot. Uh, you're going to have there's going to be so many cramp breaks in this World Cup. It's going to be unbearable. And also, Jamie Carragher, you know, former Liverpool guy, talked about it this week um, on CBS. A ten day hamstring injury shouldn't keep you out of World Cup contention, and we're seeing that right now because the World Cup, there's no break. They're, these guys have to go from Champions League, EPL. And four days later, they're playing their first World Cup game. There's not even a warm-up match. Uh, so you're seeing 10-day injuries take guys out for the entire group stage for a tournament that they only get two or three of in their whole right. career. Yeah, and it's a, it's, it's a bad look. It really is, especially because I thought the Euro tournament last summer was awesome. Yeah. Um, I thought some of the post-COVID tournaments that we've seen around the world um, – you know, even the classic, you know, club tournaments like, you know, the Champions League final, I thought, you know, even though it didn't go well for Liverpool, I thought it was a great event. Um, I thought Paris, it was in Paris, right? Yeah. I thought Paris was ready for it, even on a short notice, uh, having it get moved. And I, I thought the events went really well. So I'm just hoping that we can at least get something positive out of it. But yeah, I'm not holding my breath. Um, speaking of positive stuff, in the world cup the usa is back so my segues are on point by the way tonight like I'm, <laughs> they are great transitions yeah, i'm trying i'm trying um but the the team usa bid obviously in 2026 will allow them to have qualified automatically but they qualified already um because they're a host in in 2026 but they were able to qualify by way of uh, normal CONCACAF structure. Um, and so did Canada, both of which 
had had hiatuses in the tournament for quite some time. Canada since I believe the 80s or 90s. Yeah. And then USA since 2014, of course, uh, when Jurgen Klinsmann, uh, former Spurs legend, uh, was <laughs> was he saved Spurs from relegation. He sure did in uh, 1998, I believe. Um, but since Klinsman's uh, 2014 squad, the U.S. hasn't been back. And then obviously, as I said, Team Canada hasn't been back for decades. Um, they've played each other frequently in uh, the CONCACAF uh, structure over the last few years. Um, and But they're not in the same group. What do you make of both those squads? I got to be honest, outside of Buchanan on Team Canada, don't know anybody. Um, so I don't know a ton about them. But we have listeners up there and, you know, you grew up miles from the border. Yeah, so I, we'll, give, we'll give them a little bit of love and then we'll move on to USMNT. But what do you think about Team Canada? I'll start. Yeah, Team Canada is not bad. They have Alfonso Davies left back for Bayern Munich uh, and Jonathan David as well, who's a front man, I believe, for uh, Lille in, in France. So they do have a couple big European names. Uh, tough group, Belgium and Croatia. Um Probably going to get through if I have to pick two. Morocco's the other team who have a, a couple decent players. Um, that'll be a really close one. I do think Belgium and Croatia go through. Canada probably doesn't have the talent it needs yet. Uh, definitely something they could build on. They're quite young as well. USA, uh, I've gone back and forth on what I think about the Americans. Um, this team has so much potential, but again, we're young as well. This team is like, we feel like we're in a golden generation, but we have a, a bronze manager um, in uh, Greg Berhalter. Really kind of a, a pragmatic guy. Doesn't go out and try to win games. Uh, lineups are questionable. I don't know what to expect from this team. Some some I feel like last summer it was where we beat Mexico like three times in the same summer. It just felt like we were riding such a high. And then this winter, after we actually qualified, Every match since then, it's been like just a downfall of like, what is this team actually going to do in the World Cup? And we don't really have an easy match here. First one against Wales is a must win because uh, you go into second match day against England, which you can't really expect a point there, if we're being honest. And then you have Iran last. We all know Iran broke our hearts uh, and sent us out of the tournament in 1998. Uh, I believe it was 98 or 96. Um, so we have history against Iran. We don't have an easy game in this group. And if we don't beat Wales on the first day, uh, it's going to look pretty grim for us. Um, I'd love to say we make it through to the round of 16, but I don't see us making it past that. I just think there's too many other really good countries uh, in this World Cup edition. Yeah. And you got to think it was really fluky that they made it out uh, in 14. Um, they had to have a lot of good stuff happen. Uh, yeah. I think it was, I think they got through because of goal differential or something, if I'm not yeah, mistaken. It was, tight. It, was tight. it was really tight with Portugal and Germany and Ghana. Um, they called it the group of death back then. I'm not sure this is quite group of death level, but no, no. there's not, but you're right in that there's not, an, there's not a game that you can say, I feel really good about USA winning that game. I don't think that game exists where you can feel really confident. Probably Wales. I mean, I don't know a ton about the Welch team outside of my boy Gareth Bale, but uh, I don't, <laughs> I don't know what else uh, to to uh, expect there. And then you know, we obviously can tell that that England game just for hype is going to be big. But uh, yeah, you're right. I don't, 
you'd be lucky to get a point there. Um, but you can't expect anything. Uh, just the talent gap is huge. Yeah. The experience experience gap is huge. Those guys have, you know, played together a ton in the summer of 21 as well. Yeah. I mean, we got a point off him in 2010. Obviously that team was loaded with stars too. You know, Gerard Lampard, the list goes on. Um, but I think this England team is a bit different. I think they feel a little bit slighted um, losing in, you know, they obviously made it to the World Cup semifinal in 2018 and then the Euro final. I think it's time for them to kind of take the next step up uh, under Southgate. So it's hard to see England going into that match against the USA and not taking all three points. Yeah, I, I would feel the same way. But either way, and this sort of transitions a little bit, into um you know our last our last few topics here um that i wanted to touch on but i was telling a i work at a college and i was telling a student who also is a huge soccer guy um i was telling him that i thought the england usa match on black friday could end up being the most watched u.s men's game of all time in our country um just because of the way that it's time slotted yeah, and it's not competing with American football. Um, I think the only other thing on is uh, actually my Bruins are the only other yeah, uh, yeah. the only other uh, game on because they get the Black Friday uh, game on NHL. Um, so Fox has this to themselves. So what do you think about that game and the hype? Uh, and you feel free to talk about some of the local stuff going on too. Do you think that game will live up to the hype in terms of interest locally? And by local, I don't just mean America, but also, uh, you know, where we live in the Northeast. Yeah. So on a, a macro level, I think this is going to be a watermark moment for USA soccer in general. Uh, like you said, the timing, Black Friday, we're not competing with anything. It's in the middle of the day. A lot of people have work off already. Um, we'll see what happens. I think the viewership is going to be insane. A lot of people hopefully are going to go to watch parties around the country. We're doing one um, in Monument Square in Portland with USL to Portland and all of the community partners involved, Portland Zoo, Re-Raw, uh, Maine Mariners, the list goes on. We're working with the Mariners too, trying to get people, you know, to go to the game and then the Mariners game that later that night, doing some fun stuff with um, some different people around the city. So we're really hoping a lot of people come out. Um, they're doing the Christmas tree lighting in Monument Square right after, so it can be a really kind of, Nice day to bring the family out, get your kids interested in soccer, um, whatever it may be. I think it's really an event for everyone. Um, and it's going to be cool to see Portland kind of come together. Obviously, I see it weekly on a small level at the zoo or Re-Raw, you know, wherever I'm watching games. It's going to be another thing to have it in Monument Square and to really see everyone come out, you know, supporting uh, the Stars and Stripes and and the boys and you couldn't have picked a better team to go up against an England, right. you no know, big brother. So I think that has a ton yeah. to do with it too. Like, and they were, I don't know if it was by chance or if the, you know, Fox is a big TV partner. I don't know if they had something to do with it either, yeah. but um, the scheduling of that match against that particular opponent in that, on that particular day is definitely not a coincidence. Um, and yeah, I think if it was Wales, or Iran, you might have some buzz, but the fact that it's England, right? Yeah. And you've mentioned this before. Um, and actually, my even my Canadian family, uh, who are huge soccer fans, mentioned this to me over the summer when I was out there. So the fact that it's USA versus England, there's a ton of American 
fans who like the Premier League. So you get to see those guys. You also get to root on your team. And then in addition, you have, as you said, sort of the big brother, little brother. We all know about the history, both as <laughs> adversaries and allies uh, with our two countries. So, And we all we speak the same language. So that there's a great there's going to be great opportunities for Twitter banter. Um, as long as uncle Elon doesn't get in the way. Um, (laughs) but yeah, I think, I think it has huge potential. Um, and it's great to hear that the city of Portland's coming together because I mean, I know I don't have to tell you this, but I think sports is the best unifier of people in the world that there is. Yeah. When I go to a game, I don't, I shouldn't say I don't care, but it doesn't cross my mind who's somebody voted for or what their uh, religion is like to me when we're there and we're at the game, like the team that we're rooting for is what um, is what's first on our minds and in our hearts. So like, I totally believe that sports is a huge unifier. And I mean, you're going to love me saying this and maybe record it and show it anytime you want to troll (laughs) Americans about soccer, but there's no better sport in the world at doing this. And it's not, and it's not particularly close. Um, I, I would say like maybe cricket or baseball is next on the list. But yeah. after that, there's no sport like this in the world that brings people together like soccer. So I really um, commend you guys for working with, uh, I know the guys over at USL Portland are huge. Um, uh, doing a lot of stuff in the community. Um, Gabe Hoffman Johnson yeah. has done a ton, uh, put in a lot of work um, with that organization. So it's great that you guys are doing that. Do you think the fact, not only that this match is happening on Black Friday, but the fact that the World Cup in general is on the same calendar part as Christmas and Thanksgiving and all the other holidays that happen in the late part of the year, do you think that helps or hurts? I think it helps because I think people, and I've been on the fence about this, I think people are relaxed and they want something to entertain them and perfect we have the world cup to do that. Do you agree? It's hard. I think I can go both ways here. Um, there's something about a summertime world cup, like games in the summer. Uh, at the same time, I see how like summertime it's harder to garner interest. Uh, Cause you know, summertime, no sports are on besides baseball for a reason. Um, people are generally inside more, you know, in the fall time winter. So I think that, potentially helps. I think viewership on TV will be higher in this world cup, especially in America Um, days where it has to compete against football. I do think it'll struggle because there will be some overlap there, you know, on other match days. Um, So it's a little bit of both. Honestly, I'm more annoyed from the being a Liverpool fan aspect of it being in the middle of the year, but timing wise, you know, I, I don't think it really hurts. Yeah, I, I've sort of felt the way you felt. I thought, really, it's in the holidays, like during the NFL season yeah. here. That's going to be hard. Excuse yeah, me. the overlap will be tough. And I also at does. first thought, well, you know what, Christmas time and at Thanksgiving time, and I know the the final is, ends before, well before yeah. you know Christmas and some of the other holidays we have in December, but um, it's still it's a Christmas time. I thought people, their mind isn't going to be on this. They, they associate it with summertime. It's not going to work. Then as I thought about it, I sort of side more with the well, the three games that we know the US is involved in are all the week of Thanksgiving. 
So, yeah. or within a week of Thanksgiving. So I, I think that helps because the, the fact that, you know, people on that Friday, but also I believe there's a game on Mondays as well. I think it's Monday, Friday, Monday. Is that right? I think uh, so. Might be. Yeah. It's, it might be Tuesday, Friday, Monday. I yeah. Have to, I have to... Something like that. So, I mean, people might be busy on those on those other two days but definitely yeah. that black friday game i think will be watershed i like the term you used um and, and i think if you're looking forward to 2026 and when the u.s hosts um it will be in the summer uh and it will be at multiple places in multiple time zones and there will be u.s games hopefully they should play in my opinion they should play one in each time zone they shouldn't yeah, play all they should play one at, in like la and then another because I, I know they get a game and then i know like the east coast gets a game I, and then i think it was is it dallas or kansas city gets a game as well i think so they should play them in one on the west coast one in the central one in the east coast i'm not sure they do that because we're the the usa you know, where the spectrum of the World Cup is so big for that World Cup specifically, I think you want to keep groups and probably regions. True, yeah, because of the travel. Yeah, that makes sense. Because I know in this game, or sorry, in this World Cup, obviously Qatar is a much smaller (laughs) geographical country. Don't have a globe behind me, but I feel pretty confident saying that. (laughs) And so, like, the, the travel, I think U.S. is playing in two different stadiums. Um, Yeah. But yeah, if even if they weren't able to do one because of group travel considerations, it would still be nice to have one on the West Coast. Have yeah. that have the USA group in the, on the West Coast. That way, like every. No, I get I get that. Yeah, you, you know what I mean. That way, what it's not like they have to watch it at like two in the afternoon. You know what I mean? Like yeah. They they should be able to do that, but that's four years away. We'll have you know as <laughs> as you mentioned, we're on a cycle here, Ricker. We'll have another. We'll connect in four years. Well, hopefully before then, but we'll yeah, have another yeah. chat in four years. So we'll have plenty of time to hash out all the idiosyncrasies of yep. American culture and soccer, which I'm sure, as you correctly point out, will hopefully continue to grow. <laughs> in the next couple of years, especially because of the work you guys are doing at the main stand and in Portland. Um, before I let you go though, got to ask you, we, we, we don't think the U S might not get out of their group. What do you think about them? Um, not, sorry, not them. What do you think about the field as a whole? Like, who do you think we see on that final day? Oh, that's a really tough question. I want to, and I think I have to look at the table because I know that certain groups qualify and I think there's already some sort of uh, way you can kind of figure out, you know, what teams will play where, depending on who qualifies. Uh, I, I would say my two favorite teams right now are, are France and Brazil. Um, Argentina has been thrown around a lot. Germany too. Um, I, I don't know. I, I like Brazil a lot. Uh, Brazil has a ton of good attacking players. Jesus and Firmino are both really on form. You throw Neymar in there. Uh, defense Tiago Silva has been a beast at Chelsea. Yeah, that's, you have that's Allison, huge, who's the best goalkeeper in the world. That's a huge uh roster, yeah. And then you know, a team from South America hasn't won the World Cups in 20 years, it'll be 2002, was the last time uh it was lifted by a South American country, which was Brazil. Um, 
So I, I'd love to see them back in there. I actually would favor them to win. And yeah. then I think France will make it back to the final. Um, as we saw in Euro 2020, France can get picked out. They're a pretty young side. Uh, not having Pogba, I think, will hurt them. Right. Um, and there, there's some drama in France, too. There's always drama in that France camp around big tournaments. Uh, the whole witch doctor thing between Mbappe and, and Pogba was big news a couple weeks ago. Uh, I think they have enough to make the final. I don't think they have enough to beat an Argentina or Brazil. Those two are probably my favorites. Um, but like any World Cup, you can have the the random Netherlands pop up and make right. it to the final Croatia. or something like that. Exactly. Croatia in 2018. Exactly. That, was, that was a huge surprise. And yeah, there is a little bit of a dark horse nature to this tournament, much like there is in a lot of global tournaments. Um, <laughs> yeah, so... I'll be interested to see that the the World Cup champion has been in Europe for a while. Uh, as you yeah. pointed out, 06, I believe, was Italy. Yeah. Um, and then 2010 with Spain. And then we had Germany and France. So we've got, it's been in Europe um, and specifically Central and Western Europe for a while. Uh, so we'll see if one of your uh, South American sides uh, in your picks there plays out. But Josh, I want to thank you again for coming on. Yeah, uh, just before we me. go let my listeners know where to find you guys at the main stand on all the socials and on uh, if they want to catch the show yeah social we just have instagram so at the main stand all undercase um youtube the main stand uh find us anywhere podcasts can be found uh i recommend watching the youtube put a lot of effort into the videos and stuff like that um again social clips everything like that can be found on insta uh stay up to date Go to the watch party on Monument Square and uh, enjoy the World Cup. All right. I believe that we will win, right? That's what they that's what they <laughs> <Yeah>. sing. <laughs> All right, well thanks for coming on, Josh. Perfect. Thank you, Will. If you liked this podcast, please subscribe on your favorite provider, including Spotify, Apple, and Google Podcasts. Be sure to check out some of our other programs on the Sportland USA podcast network, including Making Fire, a Survivor podcast, Filling Up with Kyle Diesel, and the Deer Go Daily News. All these programs are produced independently under the Sportland USA podcast network, and the views expressed on them do not reflect those of any other company, outlet, person, or entity.